This morning, we'll be continuing our study in 1 Corinthians 13, um, and I think I said last week, we have a whole bunch of new pulpit Bibles. Just about every chair should have one, so if you don't have your own Bible, uh, go ahead and pull this out, because we will be jumping around a little bit today. Um, so there is the main scripture text in the bulletin, but it would be great to have a Bible in your hands, just so you can be following along. Um, So stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 13, which is page 959. Sorry, 960. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us by the preaching of your word that you would teach us to be people of love as we have been so richly loved, that you would be at work among us by your Holy Spirit, and that you would teach us to love like Jesus loves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, and probably this part of it more than any other, uh, has a particular connotation that we all... um, attached to it. How many people in this room had this passage read at your wedding? Good show, show of hands. Yeah. Okay, so some of you are holding back on me. I think it was more than three. And we also talked last week about the fact that this is not actually about marriage, right? That, that wasn't the original context. That wasn't what Paul was talking about. He was writing to a church um, where the way that the church was relating to each other was using their spiritual gifts Uh, was violating the law of love, was not loving. And so he was writing into that context. But I think it is beautiful that we do read this so often at weddings. I'm not, I'm not, you know, making you raise your hand to, to yell at you about that, even though it is a little bit out of context. But I think it's beautiful that we read it at weddings. And actually, I think it's beautiful that a lot of the time, even non Christians, even people who don't know Jesus, want to read this at their weddings. Right? Love is kind, love is patient. Love does not seek its own way. It does not boast. It doesn't envy. We read those things, and I think we naturally just think, I want to be loved like that. (laughs) I I want somebody to look at me in that way, with kindness, with patience, not envying when something goes my way and doesn't go their way, not boasting when they get a promotion and I don't, not, not watching out primarily for themselves, but looking at me and loving me this way. Whether you know Jesus or not, I think this passage is just beautiful and inspiring and moving. I think there's a good reason that we read it in marriages, but the problem is, obviously, that then we get married. Um. (laughs) There's a beautiful book um, written by Sinclair Ferguson, Uh, on this passage, but uh, around Christmas. It was a devotional book called Love Came Down at Christmas. If you haven't read it, and if you're looking for something to read around Christmas, it is beautiful, it's inspiring, it's helpful. 
Um, And he talks about this passage in one of the chapters. He suggests a mental exercise. He says, anytime you see the word love or it, substitute your own name. Let's do it. I'm going to substitute my name. Um, You can substitute your own as I read it. Colin is patient and kind. Okay. Yeah, we got to one one sentence. (laughs) I'm not doing so good. Colin does not envy or boast. Colin is not arrogant or rude. Colin does not insist on his own way. Colin is not irritable or resentful. Colin does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Colin bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Did you do better than I did? (laughs) I think as we read it that way, we start to notice that as inspiring and as beautiful as this passage is, it's also a little bit convicting that love is difficult. Love is not easy. Love is something that we go into probably thinking that we're better at it than we are and that one of the reasons we get married, one of the reasons we form deep relationships, for those of you who aren't married, this is not just a married person thing, but any deep relationship, any good friendship, any family member that you want to be really close to and you want to love, you're going to find out it is hard work. It is not something that we do so naturally. But Ferguson recommends a second exercise. He says, anytime in the passage that you see the word love, or you see the word it, substitute the name Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is going to be our goal today, in the opposite order, to consider how is Jesus love? How does Jesus show us what it means to love, what it means to be loved? We're going to look at three stories from the life of Jesus, so keep your Bibles out. We're going to be jumping around. We're going to see how does he portray love? How does he teach us to love? And how have we been loved? And second, we're going to ask not just how do we fall short of that example, which I can see in your faces as I am, that we we get that, we understand that we do not live up to that example perfectly, but also how can we grow? How can we become more like Jesus? How can we strive to love like Jesus loved as he called us to love? So, Jesus is patient and kind. I want you to turn with me to page 820 in the Pew Bibles to Matthew 14. We're going to be reading verses 22 to 33. Again, in the Pew Bibles, uh, verse, or sorry, page 820. Immediately he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God, the word of the Lord. There's something amazing about Jesus' patience with Peter. It's one thing to say that it's good to be patient and kind. I think most people in the world, regardless of faith, regardless of worldview, could say that. It's good to be patient. It's good to be kind. But it's something entirely else to be patient and kind, especially when you're spending your entire waking life with somebody who regularly tests your patience and kindness. In this story, that's Peter. And in a lot of stories, that's Peter. You can imagine Jesus' frustration, right? Only hours earlier, if you look a little bit back in the chapter, uh, Jesus had done this amazing miracle, right? He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And Peter had seen him do this, right? He was there. Not only that, Jesus had done countless miracles in front of Peter. He had healed people who had had lifelong illnesses. Um, He had already calmed a storm, And here's Peter stepping out in faith and walking toward Jesus on the water. And what does he become afraid of? The passage says he became afraid of the wind, which is a little bit ridiculous, right? You've seen this man already, barring the fact that, okay, this is amazing. I'm walking on the water. What is this about? But you have already seen Jesus calm a storm, calm a heavy wind. In a way, I think we can see Peter as a type or a representative of all of God's people, of us. We see God do amazing things. We see and we read about God's power. We know about God's glory and his majesty and his might. And we become afraid of the wind. Our faith is strong one moment and it's falling apart the next moment. Our faith is just sturdy one moment and then in the next moment something knocks us off kilter. We trust in God's power and goodness one moment and then the next moment we say, yeah, but God, can you really do this. Can you really take care of me? It's pretty windy. My point, of course, is not just that we struggle like Peter, that our faith is weak at times, like Peter's faith was weak. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you don't really need me to convince you of that. There are times in life when that is just blatantly the case. In my life, and I assume in your life. But the point is that Jesus as he was with Peter, is patient and is kind. Jesus, who called on his followers to forgive, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, bore with Peter probably 70 times, seven times, bore with us, will bear with us 70 times, seven times. And Jesus bore with Peter, knowing what was about to happen, knowing that as irritating as Peter was in his Lack of faith. You remember the time when the children were coming to Jesus and you're saying, yeah, now send the children away. All of the times that you look at Peter and you're like, ooh, I don't want to see myself in Peter. But Jesus loved Peter through all of those things, knowing 
that later on in the story, Peter was going to see Jesus crucified, see him on trial, and he was going to deny him. He was going to say he never even knew him. He was going to walk away. Jesus loved him through all of this. But this is what Peter was told by Jesus in Matthew 16. This is the amazing thing. This is where we see Jesus' patience and his kindness. He says, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevent it, shall not prevail against it, brother. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Remember that Peter wasn't born with the name Peter. The name he was given by his family was Simon. Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah. But Peter, Petros in Greek, means rock. And Jesus declared, on this rock, on this Peter, I will build my church. I'm not going to get into the debate that Protestants have with Rome on that. You probably all are already on my side, so I don't really need to preach to the choir that that does not mean that Peter formed an ongoing list of Peter who were going to rule the church. But Jesus was looking at a man who had fallen apart time after time in his faith, in his just ability to understand a situation, who was going to fall apart in the most magnificent way at the cross. And he said, you're Peter. You have to imagine the other disciples being there saying, wait, him? (laughs) Like, you you literally just said, Jesus, you literally just said, oh, you have little faith. And you've said that like 20 times. So you're choosing him. And Jesus is patient. And Jesus is kind. Can you see yourself in the person of Peter? Can you see yourself as someone who has required Jesus' patience and Jesus' kindness? So we don't get to receive his love without having to acknowledge the fact that we are people like Peter who will require his love, not just in some vague, nice sense, but we will require the sort of love that is patient and is kind because we test his patience, we test his kindness. I test his patience, I test his kindness. I can think back in this last week of countless times when you would ask the question, Jesus, why are you still patient with me? Jesus, why do you still love me? Why are you still kind to me? But Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. That is what his love is. Second story, Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. If you're in the Pew Bibles, this is page 832. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his faith and prayed, saying, my father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus was faced with the decision of whether to intentionally go through something unthinkably painful, both spiritually and physically. Something that he could have chosen, remember, not to do. Something that in a certain way, he would have preferred not to do. He reaches out to his father and says, God, Father, if it is possible, let this cup fall from my hand. That is, this crucifixion that I am about to go through, let that not be the path that I have to walk. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Paul tells us that love does not insist on its own way. Love distinguishes between that which is easy or enjoyable or brings glory to the self and that which is good for the one who is loved. And it chooses the beloved. Jesus could have said, I'm not going to do that. I am God and I don't have to. That was an option. That was something that he could have righteously and reasonably done. That is something that was available to him and he chose to say, God Not my will, but your will. Father, not my will, but your will be done. This is Jesus' love. In the last story, Matthew 27, verses 33 to 42, page 834 in the few Bibles, just one over. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he could not drink it, or he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let him, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. What is love? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. When love hears someone say to him, you are not who you are. You are not the Son of God. You are not the Messiah. You are not one with power and glory over all things that you have made. When love is told, you are not the King of the Jews. He does not say, 
I will insist on my own glory. I will insist on my rights. But he says, for the sake of those whom I love. He's not a doormat for the sake of being a doormat. I should point that out. This does not point Christians to abuse or to allowing abuse. But Jesus' eyes, Jesus' love is focused on those whom he loves. Such that when he is told that he is not who he in fact is, he doesn't raise a hand, he doesn't insist on boasting as he reasonably could about who he was. Love is not arrogant or rude. When faced with people who are in fact arrogant and rude, set down in history as perhaps the most arrogant and rude people we can imagine. Love does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love bears all things. That takes on a new new meaning when you look at the cross. Love believes all things. That does not mean love is gullible, by the way. Doesn't mean that that love, if, if you tell it, you know, Sky is orange, doesn't mean it's going to believe you, but love, the belief that it has, the, the trust that it has, the, the way that it, it is firmly believing, and particularly believing in God, that it has a firm faith. Love hopes all things, endures all things. This is how we have been loved. And the question, obviously, is do we love like Jesus loved? When treated like Jesus was treated, do we love like Jesus loved? I don't ask that question, by the way, um, thinking that shaming you or shaming myself, that we do not love. Yeah, that is the answer, by the way. We do not love quite like Jesus loved. We fall short and we fall short and we fall short. But I don't say it to shame us. I ask the question, because I want to take seriously that there are sensible reasons not to love like Jesus loved. I'll say that again. There are, there are sensible reasons to choose not to love. I think there's an old, older song that says, love makes the world go round. And that song's lying. <laughs> Love doesn't make sense in this world. We live in a world where if you look at the most powerful people and how they got to power, the word love is not going to come up. Okay, that's maybe a rough way to, to put this, but love is something that is entirely countercultural in the world, is entirely against the grain of the world, is something that just hurts when we do it in this world because we are in a world that is not what it was supposed to be. We look at the Garden of Eden that that was created in Genesis 1 and we say there is a world where love made the world go round. You love like Jesus and what you're likely to get in this world is exhausted and hurt and probably broke. (laughs) 
And that's how Jesus died. Jesus died exhausted and physically broken without even a reasonable outfit to call his own. But his clothing even was gambled on by those watching. So there are good reasons that we can give. There are, there are sensible and reasonable things we can say. Don't love like Jesus loved. It's not going to get you where you want to go. But there are better reasons to do it. Jesus told his disciples that the kingdom of God is like a treasure that someone found in a field, and that man sold everything so that he could buy it. This is the question that we are asked when we look at the love of Jesus is, is the kingdom of God, is Jesus, this one who has loved us so deeply, so powerfully, so amazingly, is his love, is having him worth selling everything that we have? There's a reason we do things in this order. We look at Jesus first, and then we ask what it costs to follow him, because the cost is going to be high. And it only makes sense if we are convinced that Jesus is absolutely worth it. That Jesus is absolutely amazing. That Jesus is absolutely worth leaving everything behind for. That Jesus has really loved you so much that you can be entirely satisfied in him. But if you've been convinced, as I hope, as you look at Jesus, that you have been convinced, that you are anew convinced And if you have not been convinced in that, I hope you will just gaze on Jesus and behold what he has done. He has died for you. That he who had no need to die chose to set aside the glory that he had from all eternity with his Father to come and to willingly be persecuted and hurt and thought poorly of and put to death so that your sins might not be counted against you if you put your faith in him. That is the amazing love that he has shown. If you've been convinced of that, how do we start to love like he loved? How do we grow into a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? There are two quick points that I want to make, and then we're going to do something similar to what we did last week. I like ending ending sermons that way with some kind of meditative prayer of thinking about and praying through what it is that the passage said. The first point is spend time with the one that you want to be like. Did any of you, when you were kids, or any of you parents out there, like, I remember my parents, when I was a child, they had strong feelings about who I spent my time with. Right? When I, when I would make a certain friend, that there was a little bit of consternation in the day household. Um... They were saying, like, you know, such and such, like, he's, he's really nice. Don't you want to spend more time? And they had strong feelings about it because they recognized what I think all parents recognize, which is that those who you spend your time with will affect the person who you become. If we want to look like Jesus, if we want to love like Jesus, we want to spend time with Jesus. We want to spend time in his word. We want to spend time in prayer. We want to spend time thinking about, Jesus, what have you done for me? How amazing is it that you came to earth and you loved me? That even right now, you are in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding over and over and over again, saying, I know he's like Peter. I know he messes up over and over again. I know that we're looking at him saying, yeah, 
Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. He did it again. But his love is still patient. His love is still kind. We need to spend time with him. We need to take stock of where we are with him, of, of our spiritual state. First and foremost, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you received the forgiveness for your sins that he has offered to you, that he has paid for by his sacrifice? But also, how do you show Christ-like love, and in what ways, practically, distinctly, do you fall short of it? Be honest with yourself. Be specific. Are there people you find it difficult to love? Are there people you excuse yourself from loving and expressing love to? Are there situations where you exclude the importance of love? Whether that be business, or politics, driving, the internet, entertainment. Are there places in our lives that we have said, love goes this far, but here's a space where love doesn't apply. Have we said that about places or situations or people where we have said that love goes this far and no, uh, no farther? Because Jesus said, my love is with you. It's with you to the ends of the earth. It's with you when you mess up. It's with you when you're in the government. It's with you when you're at work. It's, it's there. My love is not going to be limited. And my second point. Do this regularly. I know this is every, every sermon says, you know, like, this is the thing. We're going to get you there. This is the one message. But this is an important thing. Do it regularly. Say, I don't know, on Sundays, whatever it is, I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to set aside time every day to be with him because I want to be like him, because I want to love like he loved. I want to know his love so that I can share it with others. As Bill was saying earlier, I want to discover his love, not just once, but again and again and again, because I know that as much as I have seen of it, I haven't seen the end of it. There is more there's more depths to, to explore. There are more heavens to, to explore of the depths and the incredible love of Jesus. We want to be amazed at how he has loved us. And we want to ask him to reveal to us where are those places where I can love like you love. We want to be growing that as he first loved us, so we now love. What we're going to do now is we're going to pray slowly, um, not too slowly. I know we need to get to a baptism, which is going to be, by the way, an incredible way that we show the love of Jesus to these children and that we will be challenged not just today, but we will actually take oaths saying we are going to love these children. We are going to show the love of Jesus to these children. We are going to teach them the love of Jesus, and we are going to take an oath to say that Not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to bind myself to do this because Jesus has loved me like that. But we're going to pray through each of these passages and say, Jesus, how have you loved me like this, and how can I start to love more like you have first loved me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have showed us so richly in Jesus Christ. We thank you that his love is patient with us as we require your patience and is kind, desiring our good 
even when it costs. Help us to love with patience, to love with kindness.